0: We are continuing our study on Hebrews called Jesus, the mediator of a New Testament or the mediator of a new covenant. The word testament or covenant in the Greek language is the exact same word. There's not a New Testament and a new covenant. There's simply a New Testament slash new covenant. And the New Testament is about the cross of Jesus. The New Testament doesn't start at Matthew chapter one with the birth of Jesus. The New Testament starts at the cross of Jesus with his blood being shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. The Old Testament of law was in effect until Jesus died on the cross. Then after Jesus died on the cross, the New Testament of grace went into effect where we're completely forgiven, completely cleansed from all sins, righteous before God in relationship with God, which comes to us all through faith in Jesus. Now this is teaching number 49, It's called the raging fire that consumes the enemies of God. It comes out of Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, which reads this way. If we, being the Jewish people, if we deliberately keep on sinning, meaning rejecting Jesus as the Christ, rejecting his work on the cross and returning back to the law or remaining in the law for forgiveness and cleansing from sins, which it was impossible for the law to cleanse or to forgive sins. We looked at all of that in our last study in study number 48. But if we, the Jewish people, deliberately keep on sinning, sinning is unbelief in Jesus, the rejection of Jesus in Hebrews. After we've received the knowledge of the truth, that knowledge of the truth is the full revelation of the person of Jesus as the Christ and the work of Jesus on the cross. So after receiving that full revelation to reject Jesus as the Christ and his work on the cross, the writer says there are no sacrifice for sins left, meaning in context that you can sacrifice all the animals you want, but that law that covenant, that testament of law, is no longer in effect. Jesus' one-time sacrifice for all people, for all sins, for all time, was the final sacrifice for sins, and that's why the writer says here, there's no sacrifice for sins left, and if you've rejected Jesus as the Christ and his work on the cross, then the only thing left is fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I want us to put this judgment of God in its biblical context here, and then we'll look into more about what this is, this fiery judgment of fire, this raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. God has a plan, and we see it in Revelation 21 through 22, to establish the new earth. Where there's no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more tears, no more pain, no more heartache. And that's what God is moving toward. And what we see on earth right now, we see much death. We see much crime. We see a lot of murder. We see human trafficking. We see drugs. We see people dying. From drugs, being poisoned with drugs. We see many acts of unlove, unloving acts being committed around the world. There's a lot of pain, a lot of heartache in the world. There's a lot of war in the world. And one day God is going to cleanse the earth. That's what this is referring to, this raging fire of judgment. It's God's going to cleanse the earth of all sin and all sinners. And only those who have trusted in Jesus will remain. And those who have trusted in Jesus will live on the new earth where all the crime that we see now will be gone. The wars that we see will be gone. The drugs that we see will be gone. The violence that we see will be gone. And it will be a world of peace and a world of love. And that's what God is moving to. There are enemies of God who have rejected Jesus, and that's what this is referring to here. So let's take a look at this raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Who are the enemies of God? Jesus gives us some insight into the enemies of God in John 15, 18 through 25, and Jesus said this, if the world hates you, there's the word hate. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. So that's one, two, three, four times that this word hate has been used. All right, let's pick up in John fifteen twenty four. If I had not done among them, that's the Jewish people, during the time of Jesus's life on earth, If I had not done among them the the works no one else did, that's the miracles that he did to prove that he was the Christ, they, the Jewish people who were eyewitnesses of the miracles, would not be guilty of sin. Sin is unbelief in Jesus as the Christ in this verse. As it is, they, the Jewish people who saw the miracles, as it is, they have seen the miracles, and yet they have hated both me and my father. So we see the hatred that many of the Jewish leaders and the Jewish people had toward Jesus. They were enemies of Jesus, and by being an enemy of Jesus, they were an enemy of God the Father, though they would have said, we're not enemies of God, we're on God's side. But because they rejected Jesus, they were enemies of God, they weren't on God's side. Now, how do we know this is referring to the Jewish people? Well, that's the context, that's the audience that Jesus was doing the miracles in front of. Verse 25 says, but this is to fulfill what was written in there, that's the Jewish people, in their law. And then Jesus quotes Psalm 35, 19, Psalm 69, 4, they, the Jewish people, hated me without reason. So there's, there's a lot of anger toward Jesus There's rejection toward Jesus. They're enemies of Jesus. Now we see further opposition to Jesus in the Philippian letter that Paul wrote following the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, and this is what Paul writes in Philippians 1, 27 through 28. He says, nevertheless, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of of the gospel of Christ, Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending side by side for the faith, meaning that the believers in Philippi would stand together, be joined together, and support the gospel of grace. The faith means the body of truth the content of the gospel, that they, they were going to contend for the gospel because the gospel of grace was under attack because people hated the gospel of grace. The city of Jerusalem hated the gospel of grace. Many Jewish leaders hated the gospel of grace. So he's saying that the Philippian people under this opposition to the gospel, that they would stand firm for the gospel, contending side by side for the faith, Verse 28 here, Philippians 1, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. The opposition toward the new covenant, the opposition toward the person of Jesus as the Christ. And this opposition was so fierce that Paul says, don't be frightened by them. These were scary people, these were religious terrorists who would. Have someone arrested, have someone tortured, even put to death because they believed in Jesus as the Christ and they believed in his work on the cross. And then Paul goes on to say in Philippians 1.27, this is a clear sign. Those who oppose you, this is a clear sign of their destruction. That's this raging fire, I think, that Paul is talking about here, this judgment toward the enemies of God. This is a clear sign of their destruction, but of your salvation, and the salvation is from God. And then Paul writes in Philippians 3.18, For as I have told you before and now tell you again, even with tears. So this is a topic that Paul came back to many times with the Philippian people, because he says, for as I have often told you and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of christ their end is destruction so it's the same destruction as philippians 1 28. those who oppose jesus they're religious people who oppose the truth that jesus is the christ they oppose the truth of his work on the cross they're enemies of the cross of christ now what is it about the message of the cross, these religious people hated so deeply. Well, they hated Jesus during his time on the earth because he communicated to them that they cannot earn righteousness. And we see going all the way back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that righteousness is by faith. Righteousness is by believing. Paul writes about that in Romans. He writes about it In Galatians, that righteousness can't be achieved. Paul says in Galatians 2.21, if righteousness could be gained by the law, then Christ died in vain. The death of Christ says that no one can achieve a right standing with God. Righteousness is needed to escape judgment. We'll see that later. Righteousness is needed to experience eternal life on the new earth. The cross is offensive to the religious mind that wants to earn righteousness, that wants to work for righteousness, because what the cross says is there's absolutely nothing you can do to merit righteousness, but righteousness is a free gift given to us by God through Christ. Whereas in this New Testament of grace, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, Jesus took our sinfulness upon himself so that we would emerge forth as righteous through faith in Jesus. We would become righteous. God would declare us righteous and our spirits would be made righteous internally. And we'll see that a little bit later as well. So this message of the cross was very offensive to the religious mind to the religious leaders, to the religious people during Paul's day. And in these churches that Paul would start, there would be opposition toward these churches and toward the people who believed in Jesus as Christ and believed in his work on the cross. Now, we see this intense hatred for the cross. We see Jesus talking about this intense hatred that would come after he left. And we see this in John 16:1 through 4. Jesus says, All this I have told you so that you will not fall away during the time of persecution, during the time of opposition. They, that's the Jewish leaders, they will put you out of the synagogue, which is what Paul was doing prior to his salvation. They will put you out of the synagogue. If you believe in Jesus as the Christ, if you believe in his work on the cross, if you believe in the resurrection, Jesus says, people will put you out of the synagogue. We looked at that in several studies back. It says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you, that's a reference to someone like Paul, prior to Paul's salvation. The time is coming when anyone who kills you, that's the Jewish leaders kicking people out of the synagogues, will think they are offering a service to God. Think about Stephen. He was taken before the Sanhedrin, which is the religious supreme court of Israel for the people of Israel during the Roman Empire. And they thought they were offering a service to God when they had Stephen stoned to death. So Jesus is, is foreshadowing all that happened in the book of Acts relating to opposition to him being the Christ and his work on the cross and his resurrection. John 16, 3. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I've told you this so that when their time comes, this opposition, this hatred, these enemies of the cross, when they come, you will remember that I warn you about them. And then Jesus says this in Matthew 23, 34, therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages, meaning Sages, people who are going to declare the wisdom of God's grace. We see the wisdom of grace in Ephesians 1. Paul talks about that. But Jesus is talking about after he leaves, he says, Therefore, I'm sending you prophets. The you there is being the the Pharisees that he's talking to in Matthew 23, the teachers of the law. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets. That's those who are going to declare the message of Jesus. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them, you being the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who hated Jesus. Remember, Jesus talked about this hatred in John chapter 15. He's talking about it in Matthew 23, 24 here. Therefore, I'm sending you, that's the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. I'm sending to you prophets who are going to declare the message of me, the message of grace, the message of my crucifixion and my resurrection and my return. Some of them, the Pharisees and teachers of the law, will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue them from town to town. So, Jesus is telling the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, exactly what they're going to do. They're going to kill people, they're going to crucify people, they're going to flog people in their own synagogues, they're going to pursue them from town to town. It's exactly what Paul did. We see this happening in the book of Acts. They're dragging people out of synagogues. James was killed in, I think it was Acts chapter 12. Stephen was killed. Peter was flogged. So all this is happening that Jesus said was coming. It came in the book of Acts and it's intense hatred for Jesus. It's an enemy of the cross. It's an enemy of God. If someone's an enemy of of Jesus, they're an enemy of God. If they're an enemy of the cross, they're an enemy of God. And so this is on full display in Acts. Now, Paul writes about the opposition and this hatred to the gospel, to Christ, to the message of grace that he was declaring. He writes about it in 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 9, and 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 through 26. 2 Corinthians 6, 4 through 9, Paul writes this, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. In great endurance, in trouble, hardships, and distress, in beatings, imprisonments, and riots, in bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, dying and yet we live on, beaten and yet not killed. Paul was beaten many times. We see some of the beatings taking place in the book of Acts. He was lied about. Bad reports were spread about him by those who hated him and hated his message of grace and that Jesus was the Christ. He writes in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 26, we see this intense persecution coming out toward believers in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 26. Paul writes, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That's how much the Jewish people hated the message of Jesus being the Christ. Not all the Jewish people, but many of the Jewish people, many of the Jewish leaders hated this message of the gospel. They were enemies of the gospel. They were enemies of the cross. And that was Paul's message. He taught the message of the cross, the message of the resurrection, the message of the New Testament, the message that Jesus was the Christ. And the Jewish leaders hated this message And Paul says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Verse 25 of 2 Corinthians 11, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews. In danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Some would slip in. They would pretend to be believers, all in disguise, seeking to discredit Paul's message, to destroy his character. So there was an intense hatred for the gospel. They were enemies of God because they were enemies of the gospel. Now, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians sixteen eight through 9, About those who were against him and against his message of grace. Paul says, But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has been opened to me to proclaim the gospel of grace, to share the good news of grace. So he says, I will tarry in Ephesus, for a great and effective door has been opened for me in Ephesus. And there are many adversaries in Ephesus. There are many in Ephesus who oppose the gospel, who oppose the message of grace. They oppose the teaching that Jesus is the Christ. They oppose the teaching that the law has been abolished, that forgiveness is free, full, final, and forever, and it's simply received by faith. And we can see how effective Paul was in Ephesus. When he writes his letter called Ephesians, he speaks a lot about the gospel of grace in Ephesians. He explains the gospel of grace in Ephesians. There are many adversaries in Ephesus who were law-based legalists. They were established in the law of Moses. They did not want the grace of Jesus to be communicated and they were against Paul. They were adversaries of Paul. We see Paul said in the earlier verses five times, I was flogged 40 lashes minus 1. So there was like an intense hatred to the gospel. So understanding this hatred to the gospel, the enemies of the gospel, the enemies of grace, enemies of the new covenant which made people enemies of God. Now let's return to Hebrews 10:26 through 27. I think we can understand this a little more. Paul says, if we, the Jewish people, who deliberately keep on sinning, that's unbelief in Jesus, after we, the Jewish people, have received the full knowledge of of the truth of the new covenant of grace and Jesus is the Christ, and we reject that and we remain in the law, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire, which the Jewish people understood this terminology, comes right out of the Jewish scriptures. This was nothing new for them. They just didn't think they were going through it. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying that this fearful expectation of judgment and raging fire that's written about in the Jewish scriptures that you think you're going to escape, you are actually are going to endure because you've rejected Jesus, who's the source of salvation, which is what the writer of Hebrews writes about in Hebrews 2, 1 through 3. They're ignoring such a great salvation. How are they going to escape judgment if they ignore Jesus? In Hebrews nine twenty seven, we've done a whole series on, or a whole teaching on Hebrews nine twenty seven through twenty eight, which says this: Just as people are destined to die once, and after that to face judgment. So, Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting. So, we see that judgment is coming. But God, through Christ, is not bringing judgment to those who are saved. Judgment is coming upon the unbeliever, the unsaved, the one who's rejected Jesus. And I write a lot about that, or I talk a lot about that in the teaching number 41 of Hebrews teachings. It's called Judgment to Come, Salvation to Bring, and you can listen to that on on my YouTube channel or on the Grace Reach podcast with Brad Robertson. That's the name of it if you want to Google it, but Hebrews teaching number 41, I talk about judgment to come and salvation to bring. Go pretty in depthly into what that judgment is, but let's look at what is this raging fire of judgment that's coming that will consume the enemies of God. Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. But blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord. That's the 10 commandments who meditate on his law day and night. The person who does this is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, the wicked are lawbreakers. They're the ungodly. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked, the unrighteous, the ungodly, the lawbreakers, will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners, that's the lawbreakers, in the assembly of the righteous, the righteous are the law keepers, the wicked are the lawbreakers, for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction, or in other translations, the way of the wicked will perish. So the Jewish people, based upon Psalm 1, 1 through 6, says if we can obey the law, we will be righteous and we will not perish in judgment. The problem is nobody could obey the law. That's what the book of Romans is all about. No one can obey the law. The law convinces everyone they're a sinner. The law convicts everyone of sin. And the law sentences everyone to death or judgment. But the good news of the gospel of grace is Jesus as the only righteous one to ever live, took the sin of the world upon himself at the cross and offers freely his righteousness as a gift to anyone who will believe in him. So no one can fulfill Psalm 1 1 through 6. The entire human race falls under the category of the wicked in Psalm 1 verse 5. And the entire human race is destined for judgment apart from Christ. And again, Paul writes about this in the book of Romans. Now, he talked in here about chaff. They are like chaff, those who undergo the judgment of God, the wicked, the ungodly, the unrighteous. The prophet Malachi speaks of this judgment of sinners that will burn like chaff. Malachi 4, 1 through 3 says, for behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace. This is what the Jewish people understood, this fiery judgment to come. It's all over the Jewish scriptures. It's part of what God has revealed in scripture about what's ultimately going to come. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant, and every evildoer will be chaff. And the day that is coming will set them ablaze. That's the fiery judgment, says the Lord of armies, so that it will leave them neither root nor branches. But for you who fear my name or have respect for God, the Son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Remember what Paul says in Romans chapter 3: there are none who fear the Lord. There are none who respect the Lord. It's the condemnation of the entire human race in Romans 1, 2, and half of 3. And then he sets up the human race with condemnation, and then he presents to the entire human race salvation in Jesus. The law brings condemnation. Jesus brings salvation by grace. There are none who fear the Lord. Paul writes about that in Romans 3. But for you who fear my name, which is nobody, according to Paul in Romans, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and frolic like calves from the stall, and you will crush the wicked underfoot, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet. What Paul presents in Romans is that everyone's wicked, everyone's ungodly. All are lawbreakers. We all need Jesus. We all need grace. And you will crush the wicked underfoot, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I am preparing. That's the day of judgment, says the Lord of armies. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, the statutes and ordinance which I commanded him in Herob for all of Israel, which they didn't do. They broke the law. They were lawbreakers. The Gentiles were lawbreakers. Paul writes about both the Jews and Gentiles being lawbreakers in Romans 1, 2, and half of 3. And then Malachi writes this in Malachi 4, verse 5. He says, Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. That's the day of judgment. That's the day of the fiery judgment of God where the enemies of God will be consumed. Now understand, God is not the enemy of the human race. The human race was an enemy to God. God so loved the world, God loved his enemies, that he sent Christ. But the world was an enemy toward God. But God provided salvation for the world through the person of Christ. So before the coming great and terrible day of the Lord, this fiery time of judgment that will consume the enemies of god god is going to send elijah the prophet now look in luke 1 11 through 17 and we see that john the baptist was the one who came in the spirit and the power of elijah he fulfilled malachi 4 5. luke 1 11 through 17 reads this way then an angel of the lord appeared to him that's Zechariah, the father of john the baptist prior to the birth of John the Baptist and even the conception of John the Baptist. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zachariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's in the temple, and we discussed in one of our earlier studies how the altar of incense is a reflection or a symbol of the fragrance of the new covenant of grace. and We looked at that in a previous study. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, Zechariah, standing at the right side of the altar of incense, as Zechariah was in the temple in Jerusalem. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring many of the people of Israel back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's the fulfillment of Malachi 4-5, in the spirit and power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist comes. He's coming prior to this day of the Lord, this fiery judgment that's coming upon the unrighteous. John the Baptist speaks in Matthew 3:12 about the coming judgment and the unquenchable fire upon the unrighteous. Matthew 3:12, you can also look in Luke 3:17. But Matthew 3:12 says his, that's Jesus' winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat, his wheat being the righteous ones, into the barn, that's eternal life, and burning up the chaff, that's the unrighteous ones, with unquenchable fire. This is the fulfillment of what Malachi is talking about or further communication of what Malachi was talking about in Malachi 4. It's, it's further communication and information of what Psalm chapter 1 Talked about as well, this unquenchable fire that's going to burn up the chaff, the unrighteous ones, during this day of judgment. Now, Jesus refers to this unquenchable fire, this fire of judgment, on several occasions. Matthew 5, 19 through 22, this is out of the literal standard version. Jesus says this For I say to you that if your righteousness may not abound above that of the scribes and Pharisees or go beyond, that of the scribes and pharisees you may not enter into the kingdom of heaven meaning eternal life the kingdom of heaven the kingdom of god eternal life were all synonyms to the jewish people they all meant the same thing and they all understood that to live eternally in the kingdom of god eternally in the kingdom of heaven to have eternal life only the righteous would remain once judgment came once that fiery judgment came where the unrighteous would perish in judgment, the righteous would remain and live eternally. So what Jesus is saying to them is very shocking here. He says, I know you think that the scribes and the Pharisees have obtained the righteousness necessary to enter into eternal life and to escape judgment, but they haven't. And not only they haven't, but in order to enter into eternal life and escape the judgment that's coming on the unrighteous, is your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the scribes. And the only way that can happen, Paul writes about it in Romans, is by faith, by belief, by trust, where we receive the very righteousness of Jesus. That's the righteousness necessary to escape judgment and enter into eternal life. Jesus took our sinfulness at the cross and he offers us his righteousness, which is the righteousness needed to escape judgment and have eternal life. He offers the entire human race his righteousness as a free gift. That's the gospel of grace. That's the good news of grace, and it's received by faith. Many during this time of Paul in Acts were enemies of that gospel. They were enemies of the message of Romans and the message of Galatians and the message of Ephesians, this message that righteousness and forgiveness is received by faith. Eternal life is received by faith. So Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 5, 21, you have heard it said to the ancients, that's the Jewish people and the Jewish scriptures preceding those whom Jesus is talking to here, those, the ancients during the life of, of Moses and the generations that followed. He said, you've heard that it was said to the ancients, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of judgment but I say to you that everyone who is angry at his brother without cause will be in danger of the judgment. They understood that. They knew exactly what that was referring to. It's referring to Psalm 1, 1 through 6. It's referring to Malachi chapter 4, 1 through 5, and other verses that I teach on in Hebrews teaching number 41. They knew exactly the judgment that Jesus was referring to. And now he's saying you're in danger of that judgment if you even have anger in your heart which is what he says in 22. But I say to you that everyone who is angry at his brother without cause will be in danger, which then I've got anger in my heart towards someone, then I don't have the righteousness necessary to escape judgment and experience eternal life. I'm in a bad situation. And that's what the law does. The law convinces us we're sinners and we're under condemnation so that we'll look to the cross of Jesus where he took our sin upon himself And he offers us salvation by grace. But I say that everyone who is angry at his brother without cause will be in danger of the judgment. Whoever may say to his brother, stupid, will be in danger of the Sanhedrin. But whoever may say, moron, will be in danger of the Guiana of fire. A lot of translations have hell here. That's not in the Greek manuscripts. It's a very poor translation. The real word there is a real place. It's called the Guiana of fire. So what is Gihanna here? If you look in the Strong's Concordance, it defines Gihanna as a valley west and south of Jerusalem, also a symbolic name for the final place of punishment or judgment of the ungodly. So Gihanna was a place where trash was burned, dead bodies were burned, criminals' bodies were burned, refuse was burned. And it became symbolic to the Jewish people. That's what God's judgment's going to be like. It's going to be like the fire of Giana. So when Jesus is saying that if your righteousness does not exceed that of the Pharisees, where you have internal righteousness, which comes by faith in Jesus, we learn later in the scriptures, we see in Hebrews 12, the, the spirits of men made righteous through the new covenant. We'll see that verse in a minute would be in danger of the fires of judgment symbolism here being Gihanna. All right, look in Matthew 5, 27 through 30. For you heard, you being the Jewish people who are listening to Jesus, you heard that it was said to the ancients, again, that's the Jewish scriptures, and the people who received the law during the life of Moses and the generations that followed, would be how the audience would have understood this. You have heard it said to the ancients, you will not commit adultery, or thou shalt not commit adultery. It's the law of Moses, right? The Ten Commandments. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's saying your righteousness has to exceed that of the Pharisees to escape judgment, and it has to be an internal righteousness where you have no sinful desires and no sinful thoughts, And no lusts, there's no coveting, there's no envy, there's no jealousy. That's the righteousness needed to escape judgment and enter into eternal life. This is shocking to people. I mean, they've got to be thinking, well, who has a chance? Who can escape judgment and enter into eternal life? Well, the fact is, nobody. Nobody can escape judgment. And that's what Paul writes about in Romans. But Jesus has come and he's taken our sinfulness. And he offers us his righteousness that's needed to escape the judgment. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 29 through 30. But if your right eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and cast it from you, for it is good to you that none of your members may perish in judgment, in the fire. And not your whole body be cast into, here it is again, most translations will translate it hell. That's a really bad translation. That's not the Greek there, it's Gihana. It's symbolic of the fires of judgment. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and cast it from you, for it is good to you that one of your members may perish and not your whole body be cast into Gihana, the fires of judgment. Now, what's he saying here? Jesus has taken the belief system of the day to its logical conclusion. He's saying that if you think you can escape the judgment to come by earning the righteousness needed to escape the judgment to come, the fiery judgment that's going to consume the enemies of God, if you think you can merit the righteousness needed to escape the judgment to come, there's some sarcasm here. If your right eye is the problem, then get rid of it. If your right if your right hand's the problem, then get rid of that. He's using an extreme example to show them the folly of seeking to achieve righteousness by the law. He's telling them, if you think it's your right eye that's bad and you might lust after somebody with your right eye or see something somebody else has and steal what they have or your right hand may steal something. If it's your right hand or your right eye, that's bad. That's the problem. Get rid of it, because when you enter into eternal life, everything will be healed, and you can escape perishing and judgment. Remember, but Jesus is saying that it's not external. If you have anger in your heart, if you have lust in your heart, he's trying to show them that their problem isn't their eye. Their problem isn't their hand. Their problem of the entire human race is the heart that apart from Christ, sin dominates the heart. I mean, we see it today all over the world. We see the sinfulness all over the world, the crime that's going on, the violence that's going on, the hatred that's going on, the jealousy, the envy, the criticism, the slandering of people. It's, it's rampant all over the world but God's creating a new earth and a new world where it's going to be peace and love and joy and righteousness, and only righteous ones can live in the righteous new earth to come. Everyone else who doesn't have that righteousness will perish in judgment, and the only way to get that righteousness is through faith in Jesus. So we're seeking to understand the raging fire of judgment. Jesus talks about this in Matthew chapter five, this raging fire that's going to consume the enemies of God. Look in Matthew 13, 37 through 50. Here Jesus, again, he's going back to what Malachi said. He's going back to what we find in Psalms and many other verses on this fiery judgment to come, which the Jewish people totally understood. They just, didn't. many of them didn't think they would go through it. And Jesus says, yeah, everyone's gonna go through it unless they believe in me and trust in me. Matthew 13, 37 through 50, Jesus says, Then he, Jesus, left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Jesus, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Then Jesus answered and explained, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are poured up and burned in the fire, that's judgment, so it will be at the end of the age. This is referring to Revelation chapter 20, the lake of fire. Verse 41, the son of man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So when you guys hear me say that judgment or the wrath of God is when he removes all sin and sinners from the earth, this is where it comes from. That day is coming and it's prior to the establishment of the new earth, the home of righteousness that Peter talks about. We'll see that in a minute. So the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. This is after Jesus reigns on earth for a thousand years. At the end of that kingdom, at the end of that reign, this will happen. 42, they will throw them into the burning furnace. That's Revelation chapter 20. That's Malachi 4, 1 through 5, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous... If you want to just write down Daniel 12, 2 through 3, Romans and Galatians, the righteous are those who trust in Jesus. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. That's the new earth. And whoever has ears, let them hear. Look what Jesus says in Matthew 13, 47 through 50. Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish. That's the righteous ones who trusted in Jesus in baskets, but through the bad away, that's the unrighteous, the ungodly, the wicked. They didn't trust in Jesus. 49, this is how it will be at the end of the age. This is Revelation 20. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous. That's what happens in Psalm 1, 1 through 6, right? Except everybody's unrighteous unless we trust in Jesus and then we're declared righteous. The angels will come and separate the wicked from the righteous and throw them into the burning furnace. That's the lake of fire, Revelation 20, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So remember, we're studying the raging fire of judgment that will consume the enemies of God. We've looked at several verses that support this so that when we read Hebrews 10, 26 through 27 about the fearful expectation of judgment, and of the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Now we've got biblical context to understand what this raging fire is that will consume the enemies of God. They will perish in this judgment according to Scripture. Peter writes about the fire of judgment in 2 Peter 3, 7-13. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly, of the unrighteous, of the wicked. Paul writes about the ungodly in Romans 4. How does the ungodly escape the judgment to come by being righteous? And Paul makes it very clear in Romans 4, by belief, not by works. They don't merit it. They don't earn it. They don't work for it. The ungodly, when they believe, receive the righteousness of Christ. And therefore, at peace with God, escape judgment and experience eternal life. Verse 8 of 2 Peter 3. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. So there's your heart of God. God wants no one to perish in judgment. God wants no one to perish in the lake of fire. But when God sets up the new earth, he's going to remove all sin and sinners from the earth in the lake of fire, Revelation 20. But he's given everyone the opportunity to come to faith in Jesus now. That's why he hasn't returned yet. That's why Jesus hasn't set up his kingdom yet. That's why none of this has happened yet, because God loves people. And God wants to be in relationship with people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, where? In judgment, but will have everlasting life, where? On the new earth. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with the war. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare or burned up. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God. And the NIV says, Speed, it's coming. Other versions say, as you earnestly desire and await and expect the coming of Christ. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements of the earth will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. This is Revelation 20 and Revelation 21. This is what Peter is saying before Revelation was ever written. But Revelation 20 and 21 is the fulfillment of what Peter is writing about, this judgment to come, and then the setting up of the new heaven and the new earth where righteousness dwells. No more crime, no more death, no more murder no more trafficking of young women, no more fentanyl killing and poisoning people all over the the world, no more drug pushers, no more drug sellers. It's going to be a, a place of complete love, of complete joy, of complete peace. And prior to setting up the new heaven and the new earth, judgment is going to come and God's going to bring judgment and he delays the judgment because he loves people. But the judgment is coming and we read about this in Revelation 20 11 through 15 says, then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it the earth and the heavens fled from his presence, I believe that's referring back to. I don't think it's referring to, but I think we can find Peter writing about that in the verses that we just read in second Peter three. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it the earth and the heavens fled from his presence and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were open. That's the books, plural, of unbelievers. Another book was open, which is the book of life. That's the book of believers. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So those who reject Jesus will be judged based upon their deeds. Believers will not be judged based upon their deeds deeds, because we're not in the books, we're in the book. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books, plural, that's the unbelievers. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death, and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged, that's unbelievers, and each person was judged according to what they had done, that's the unbelievers are judged according to what they have done. Their evil deeds will be laid before them. The evidence for the the justice of the judgment will be presented to them. They won't be able to say that I don't deserve judgment because their deeds will be before them. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. That's the lake of fire of, of Malachi. That's the fiery judgment that Jesus talked about in Matthew 5. It's the fiery judgment Jesus talked about in Matthew 13. The lake of fire is the second death. That's what Hebrews ten twenty eight is referring to. Anyone, verse 15 of Revelation 20, anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life, that's believers, can also see Revelation 21, 27, was thrown into the lake of fire. That's the judgment of Hebrews 10, 28, the fiery judgment of the enemies of God, those who reject Jesus and the righteousness and the grace that he offers. Revelation 21, 1 through 5 says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, that's the city of grace, Galatians 4, 21 through 26. Hebrews 12, 22 through 24, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. The new earth comes after the fiery judgment. Now, with this understanding, let's go back to Hebrews 10, 26 through 27. That's the fearful expectation of judgment and the raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I believe scripture doesn't teach eternal torment in hell. I believe the Bible teaches that the unrighteous will be judged and they will be consumed. They will perish. Uh, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, shall not be consumed in judgment. But that's just me and my thoughts as I see scripture. To me, it's it's really clear that it's it's a consuming of the unbeliever, not an eternal burning in hell. They're consumed in the fiery judgment of Revelation 20. But check that out for yourself. Look at Hebrews 10, 28 through 31. This follows Hebrews 10, 27 through 28 about the judgment that's coming upon those who reject Jesus, continuing in the sin of unbelief, rejecting Jesus. That's what sin is in Hebrews 10:27. It's rejecting Jesus. So look at what Hebrews 10:28 through 31 says. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think, and he's writing to the Jewish people, to the Jewish mind, they they understand all this terminology. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished or consumed in the raging fire of judgment, who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant or the blood of the testament that sanctified, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. that sanctified. Some versions will say that sanctified him or sanctified them. That's not in the Greek manuscripts. The word him or them. The period in the original Greek, and you, you can check this out for yourself, comes after sanctified. Who is treated as an unholy thing, the blood of the covenant or the blood of Jesus that's sanctified. The blood of Jesus has purified from all sins. The blood of Jesus has sanctified, but it has to be received by faith. So this was referring to someone who's rejected Jesus. They've rejected the the sanctifying blood of Jesus, the purifying blood of Jesus. And the writer's saying, if someone rejected the law of Moses and was punished, how much more if they reject Jesus? That's, That's provided sanctification, that's provided purification and they've rejected what Jesus has done, that they will be in judgment now. They've insulted the spirit of grace. What's the spirit of grace? The spirit of Jesus is pointing people to the cross, pointing people to the blood of Christ. You can read about that in Hebrews 10, 15. The spirit testifies about the new covenant. The spirit wants to see people, wants to convince people. The law is there to convince us that we're sinners apart from Christ. We're saints in Christ, sinners apart from Christ. So the law is there to make us aware that we're sinners. The Spirit is to lead us to the cross. The law convinces us we're sinners. Jesus dies for us at the cross, and the Spirit is seeking to lead people to the cross of Jesus. And we can read about that also in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through chapter 6, verse 2, the spirit of grace is trying to lead people to the cross of grace, to the new covenant of grace. For we, the Jewish people, verse 30 of Hebrews 10, know him who said, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. That is a quote of Deuteronomy 32, 25. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That's the Jewish people. That's not Christians that are going under judgment here. That's the Jewish people in context who are going to be judged for what they did with Jesus, the enemies of God, the enemies of the cross. And it's a quote from Deuteronomy 32, 26 and Psalm 135, 14. So the, the, the Jewish reader, and this is written to Jewish people in AD 65. Doesn't mean Gentiles won't go into judgment for rejecting Jesus, but in its immediate context he's, he's trying to convince the jewish people that if they reject jesus they're going into the judgment that's found in the jewish scriptures and that jesus elaborated on during his time on earth and then the writer says in verse 31 of hebrews 10 it's a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living god that's referring to judgment and then he continues hebrews 10 30 through 31 Talking about this fiery judgment to come upon those who reject Jesus. For we, again, that's the Jewish people who knew the Jewish scriptures. The writer is just quoting one Jewish scripture after another, one after another, to say judgments coming upon the Jewish people based upon what they do with Jesus. For we know him who said, they knew this verse, Deuteronomy thirty-two, thirty-five, it is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. Deuteronomy thirty-two, twenty-six, Psalm 135-14. And it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God, the judgment of God. Let's look at this judgment of God. It's talked about in Hebrews twelve, twenty-three through twenty-seven says, you have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirit of the righteous made perfect. So look where you and I, the, the believer in Jesus, has been made perfect. Where is this righteousness? Our spirits have been made righteous. We are internally and eternally made perfectly righteous because the blood of Jesus cleanses inwardly from all sins, purifies from all sins. Remember, Jesus said, if you've had lust in your heart, you're guilty. If you've had anger in your heart, you're guilty. That's the entire human race. But look what the blood of Jesus does. It cleanses us of the guilt, of anger, of lust. It purifies from sin. It doesn't mean a person, these thoughts will not come, and these desires will not come into their lives. They will, but that's of the flesh. That's not of the spirit. That's of the flesh. The real you is perfectly righteous inwardly. God has made you righteous through the blood of Christ. And how did this happen? You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Here it is, to the New Testament or the New Covenant, to Jesus. You've come to Jesus. This is how your spirits were made righteous. The mediator of a New Testament. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, the blood of Abel shouted from the ground that Cain was guilty. The blood of Jesus says from the cross, you're innocent, you're righteous through faith in me. Verse 25, see to it that you do not refuse. This is the deliberate sin of Hebrews ten twenty-seven. It's the rejection of Jesus. It's the rejection of the blood of Christ. It's refusing to believe that the blood of Christ cleanses from all sins. And it's trampling underfoot the blood of Christ with every animal sacrifice they were going back to the temple to do in AD 65. See to it that you, those who are rejecting Jesus and you're going to the temple to sacrifice animals, and there's no sacrifice left, by the way, the writer says, you're wasting your time. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Now, if you go back to Hebrews 1 1 through 3, it's very clear. The writer says God is not speaking anymore through the prophets. He's now speaking through his son. And the specific words being spoken through the son is the blood of Jesus, is this New Testament. Okay, that's what he's drawing their attention to here. You can also look and back up in Hebrews 12, 24, the blood. It's the blood of Jesus that's speaking a better word. The better word is your are righteous through faith in me. See to that you do not refuse him who speaks, keep going back to the law, if they, it's referring to those at the giving of the law in Exodus 19 through 20, if they did not escape judgment when they refused, rejected what God said when he brought the law, if they did not escape judgment when they refused him who warned them on earth, that's the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, how much less will we, that's in AD 65, the Jewish people being presented with the New Testament of grace, how much less will we, if we, the Jewish people in context, turn away from God who warns us from heaven, if we turn away from Jesus, if we turn away from the blood of Christ, if we turn away from the New Testament, go back to the law of Moses, how will we escape judgment? if we turn away from God who warns us from heaven. At that time, verse 26 of Hebrews 12, at that time, referring to Mount Sinai, Exodus 19 through 20, at that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. I think that's referring right back to 2 Peter chapter three, Revelation chapter 20. Once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That's Haggai 2.6. That's a quote of Haggai 2.6. The words once more indicate the removing in judgment of what can be shaken. That's the wicked. That's the ungodly. And they're thrown into the lake of fire. They're consumed in the lake of fire. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is created things. That's the unrighteous who have rejected Jesus. So that what cannot be shaken, that's the righteous, may remain to live on the new earth. The righteous ones in the kingdom of God is those who remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, that's the kingdom of God on earth, that's the new earth. That's what we're going to receive one day. That's going to be our inheritance one day. Therefore, let us be thankful. Now the word thankful there is charis, it's the word for grace. And in the Greek language, it's really saying this, let us possess grace. He's telling the Jewish people, you're seeking to escape this judgment that's coming, this shaking that's coming by adherence to the law, performance under the law. He says you cannot escape judgment by performance under the law. The only way to escape judgment and to receive the kingdom that's coming, eternal life, is to possess grace is to have grace. That's what Hebrews 12, 28 is saying. When it says, let us, it's not let us be thankful. It's in the Greek, it's let us have grace. the new covenant is the context. Let Let us listen to the blood of Christ telling us that you can be purified from all sins through faith in me. That's the grace here that it's referring to. Possess grace, possess the blood of Christ through faith. Experience the forgiveness of sins and the cleansing of sins and the purification of sins that's needed to escape judgment, this fiery judgment. Let us have grace, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, or relate to God through grace, not the law. Hebrews two nine talks about that that Jesus, through His death by grace, it says, died for everyone. So that's what it's referring to. We need to possess. The grace of Jesus that's come to us through the death of Jesus, where we have full forgiveness and complete cleansing of sins. And righteousness, where our spirits have been made righteous because the blood of Jesus inwardly cleanses from all sin. And then he goes back to this statement, verse 29 of Hebrews 12. For our God is a consuming fire. That's the fiery judgment of Hebrews 10, 28. That's going to consume the enemies of God in the lake of fire of Revelation chapter 20. When the unrighteous are judged because their names are in the books, they're judged according to their deeds, which is the evidence of their unrighteousness. They're thrown into the lake of fire. But those who are in the book, that's believers. They believed they're righteous because they believed they enter into eternal life. They will not experience the consuming fire of God. So with Hebrews 10, 26 through 27, it talks about the fearful expectation of judgment and a raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. I think we've, we've looked at that pretty in-depthly, and I think we've got some clarity on what it's referring to there. God doesn't want anybody to go through this judgment. John 3:16 tells us that he doesn't want anybody perishing in this judgment. Peter says that in second. Peter chapter 3. God desires everyone to come to know him personally. And when we come to know Jesus through faith, we will experience grace forever. That's what Ephesians 2:7 says. I don't know who's listening to this podcast maybe. I don't know who's watching this possibly on a video. But there may be somebody listening to this who's never come to faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to seek righteousness by some type of law, religious system, work, or effort. But now you're understanding that salvation is belief in Jesus. It's trusting in Jesus. And you're declared righteous. And you've never come to faith in Jesus. Maybe it's been by works you've been trying or. Or earning, and today's your day. Or maybe you've just ignored Jesus your whole life. But now you're, you feel the Holy Spirit leading you to the cross. You feel the Holy Spirit bringing you to the blood of Jesus. And you feel hope coming that you can have eternal life. You can escape judgment. You can experience eternal life simply by belief in Jesus. I'm going to say a very brief prayer. Somebody's watching on video or you're listening on a podcast. You've never trusted in Jesus, or maybe you don't know if you've trusted in Jesus. Today, you can know. There's nothing magical about this prayer, I'm going to say. It's, it's a biblical. It has biblical content in it that will enable you to express your faith or your belief in Jesus. And just whether you're in a car or you're listening on your phone or you're watching on a video somewhere, you want to trust in Jesus. Just simply right where you are. You can just say these words. Dear God, I know that I've sinned. My sins bring judgment. But I know that Jesus was judged for my sins on the cross. That Jesus took all of my sins upon himself at the cross. And God, you're not counting my sins against me anymore because they were all counted against Jesus. And Today I place my faith, my trust, I believe today in Jesus who loves me, who died for me, who took my sinfulness upon the cross, who rose from the dead, and he offers me his righteousness. And today I accept by faith in Jesus, by believing, I accept the righteousness that you're offering me in Christ. And now I know I'll escape the judgment to come and I will experience eternal life on the new earth, where I will experience your grace forever. Amen. Hey, if you made that decision, I'd love to know about it. Send me an email, bradr1966 at gmail.com. Hey, I want to thank you for listening to this teaching today. If you enjoy these teachings, you may also enjoy the resources on my website, gracereach.org, and you may also enjoy my books, which are available on Amazon. I also have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page, and you can find the links to all my resources and the details of this podcast teaching. If you'd like to support my ministry in reaching more and more people with the good news of God's grace and teaching more and more people about His grace, click the Donate button on the Grace Reach website, again, which is gracereach.org, Hey, thank you guys so much for listening to this teaching today. I pray that through these teachings, you are understanding the Bible more fully and you're understanding God's grace more clearly. Have a great day.